Welcome to the Do Business Better podcast, the place for ideas you can implement to achieve prosperity. You'll get insights from successful business people on how they do business better. You'll glean tactics on creating a life and business by choice because we interview real business people who've done just that. Now here's your host, Damian Mason. Greetings. Hey, thanks for joining us here on the Do Business Better podcast. It's me, your host, Damian Mason. Got a great show for you today. Got a friend of mine named Todd Thurman, who's going to give us um, his thoughts on rhetorical appeal, rhetorical appeals and how we use them in our uh, messaging and how we use them uh, in dealing with our customer base or use the rhetorical appeals to convince people to do what we want them to do, or maybe even sometimes battle our detractors. Uh, he's going to explain all about rhetorical appeals. You're going to love the show because you're going to love hearing from Todd Thurman. I say he's a friend of mine. He's part of my business of agriculture success group. He is the founder and CEO of Swine Tex Consulting. That's Swine Tex, like the first part of Texas, because he's a Texas guy and he's in the swine consulting industry, helping swine industry producers be more efficient is uh, and, and profitable is what his uh, business is all about. So he's a small biz guy, just like you, just like me. He's been at it for a long time. He's successful and uh, he's been through all the ups and the downs and the, uh, and the backwards and the forwards, like all of us have that run our and pilot our own ship. So Todd Thurman, welcome to the Do Business Better podcast. Thanks for having me. All right. Rhetorical appeals. I, I love the topic. You, you introduced it to my business of ag success group uh, as a potential topic. And I thought, you know what, that's something for everybody that's in business. What is the definition of rhetorical appeal? Well, let's start with rhetoric and what, what is rhetoric. And, and the problem there is that rhetoric has gained a little bit of a bad reputation recently. So it's kind of got a negative connotation that I don't really think it deserves. But it's, it's most often in modern contexts used to describe language that's sort of meaningless or insincere. It's very frequently preceded by the word empty, which is never good. Um, and it's often uh, describing things that politicians say. And I can't imagine anything that's, uh, that's more negative nowadays than being associated with things that comes out of politicians' mouth. Yeah, when so I, you when hear I, that all the time. Sure. When, when anybody, rhetoric coming from politicians. When anybody on this podcast right now says, wait a minute, we're not talking about politics. Are we? No, we are not. But you'll commonly hear the words political rhetoric. And yes, as you said, rhetoric means uh, somewhat uh, what trite, I guess, is another way to call it. It's um, yep. it's the same old trite, overused jargon. Um, yes, got it. So that's what rhetoric is. Rhetorical appeal. So, so but what I really want to talk about is, is what we call classical rhetoric. And we basically call it classical rhetoric to try to distance it from the, the modern context of the, of the word. And so, uh, but what we're really saying when we talk about classical rhetoric is it, it's really simple. It can really be defined as the art of effective or persuasive speaking or writing. So anything that you're doing communication-wise to try to persuade someone to a adopt a different position to change in one way or another that's what we're talking about when we're talking about classical rhetoric and so it's really not just in a political context it's 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 really in a wide variety of contexts and and that's really what we're talking about and it's a it's a really old concept it goes way back to the ancient greeks and most notably aristotle and he's the one that that wrote the book on rhetoric in fact he actually wrote the book rhetoric um and and 
and it was taught in higher education and education systems around the world for thousands of years. I mean, if there's evidence of rhetoric being taught in, in Asian history, in, a, in uh, ancient Asian civilizations. It, it pops up in Roman civilization, certainly in Greek, um, but uh, across uh, African uh, civilizations. It was really common. In fact, it wasn't that long ago that it would have been preposterous to think that you could be consider yourself an educated person if you weren't, you know, familiar with uh, the rhetorical arts, right? And so um, for basically uh, most of human history, this has been a, a, a staple. And it kind of fell out of favor when we started shifting our focus to science in the scientific method. And I'm a huge fan. I'm in the sciences. I'm a huge fan of science and the scientific method. But when we we kind of in the education, our education system started focusing on research and science and scientific method, we sort of drifted away from liberal arts. And and one of the one of the the side effects of that, one of the negative side effects of that, was we start we really really quit focusing on rhetoric. But there's one place in the U.S. Where in the higher education system, where rhetoric is still even today commonly taught, and that's for some reason I'm not sure what that is in the historically black colleges and universities. And so, if you go back, particularly to the civil rights era, and see some of the great rhetorical practitioners, uh, the most notable one would obviously be Martin Luther King. Um, but they came out of that system, and so uh, Martin Luther King went to Morehouse College, which is a historically black college, and and I, I believe he majored in and I got a Bachelor of Arts in, in Sociology or something like that, but was undoubtedly exposed to rhetorical training at that point. And so if, if you want an example of how rhetoric can benefit you in your communication, there's no better example than Martin Luther King. And in fact, whole, I think there's whole classes uh, just based on one of his speeches and, and how in demonstrating how he was a master of the rhetorical arts. But that's a perfect example. Okay, now here's the deal. All right, so rhetoric is, uh, in it, when it's not being demonized or talked about in the media about political rhetoric, is the art of effective communication, rhetorical arts, if you will. And somebody's listening to this right now saying, well, wait a minute, man, I'm out here, I run uh, dry cleaners. Uh, I, own, I own fast food franchises. It's all about communication and effective communication. And what I liked about it was, we, because you and I come from an ag background, we serve the ag industry. I commonly tell these ag people, yes, I'm going to give you some data. I'm going to tell our consumers, here's the reality about, uh, for instance, uh, dietary fat. It turns out that for 50 years, we've been going down the wrong road. And I can tell our consumers that. Now that's science or that's logical. Now let's also realize that that doesn't necessarily work because humans are emotional. And so if you can give them the emotional appeal, like, hey, do you realize that your, your dad died of a heart attack largely because he probably was subscribed to uh, bad dietary advice. He might've lived five to 10 years longer. Now you just reached the appeal of emotion. But you said there's a third one also, and there's the appeal to authority. So give me the scoop on that. I just talked about logic and emotion. And then the third one is authority, which I guess I never even think about because I'm so much of a anti-authority person. Well, I, I think that you probably don't think about it, or maybe you think about it more than you realize. And I think you're probably an expert on it and didn't didn't uh, really realize it. So uh, I'll talk about that quite a bit um, here in just a second. I did want to reinforce why should you care? You asked the question, why should a, a guy that owns a dry cleaning, why should he care about this? Well, anybody that's trying to persuade anyone to do anything can benefit from the skills and, and applying the, these rhetorical 
tools, okay? And so, obviously, leadership, if you're in any sort of leadership position, um, you're essentially persuading people to follow your vision, right? If you're um, in marketing, you're trying to connect with consumers and persuade consumers to accept your brand or to identify with your your product or service. If you're in sales, it's probably the perfect example. Obviously, you're trying to persuade people. And, you know, and it's often been said, even if you're not in sales, you're in sales, right? Whether you're a you know formal sales position or not, you're selling something. You're yeah, selling I mean, my, your my, ideas my, or your person or whatever. That's exactly right. So that's where I'm glad you did that because we always want to make sure we provide the benefit. What is the benefit of you continuing to listen to or view this uh, podcast, which I should remind you, uh, it's not just a available as an audio, it's available as a video on the Damian Mason channel on YouTube and as well as an audio wherever you pick up your podcast. But anyway, yeah, my buddy that's um, got a property maintenance and landscaping business. Uh, he says, I, he probably didn't consider himself to be a salesperson, but a call comes in and they say, I'd like you to come out and give me a, a bid. Well, when he's there, he needs to listen to what the customer is saying or the prospect is saying. And then he's persuade this person. Uh, you know, if he says, okay, here's uh, my bid for a thousand dollars. Ah, well, someone else said it was going to be 800. Well, which thing are you going to appeal to, to persuade her to say, no, I, uh, here's why my bid is this. So we all are in sales. And if you run your own business, obviously you've got to sell a customer base. You've got to also have, like you say, um, you and I both work with a lot of contractors, meaning people that help us with our business, but are not our employees. We need them to be bought into what we are doing. So yeah, uh, there's a lot of a, there's no question that we are all in a persuasive role sometimes. And that's the value. So you continue. So, so these three uh, rhetorical tools or the rhetorical appeals are ethos, pathos, and logos. Okay, and so those are obviously Greek terms. Goes back to Aristotle, and ethos is an appeal to authority. Uh, pathos is an appeal to emotion, and logos is an appeal to logic. Okay, so those are the three primary rhetorical tools that we have available for us. And so I, I'm not going to dig in real deep into these because we, we've got some limited time here, but I do want to touch on each one of them. And I'm going to start with ethos, which is the appeal to authority. Um, I think this is probably the most under, misunderstood of the rhetorical appeals because I think a lot of people associate it with uh, credentialism. Right, associate it with appealing to authority saying, so when people say, you know, you should listen to me because I'm a doctor, or you should listen to me because I have 20 years experience doing this, or I have a PhD, or, you know, whatever it is. Um, that's what people think of when they think of an appeal to authority. And that's certainly a component of what we're talking about here. But I think what's far more important is that you're appealing to credibility, and ultimately trust, and, and trust's very close cousin, likability. Right? And so it's, it's exceedingly important that if you're going to appeal uh, to authority, you have to establish that authority. And it's not authority in the sense of, I'm going to tell you what to do. It's authority in the sense of, I'm going to leverage the fact that you trust me and that you like me and that you're going to be more open to what I have to say because of the fact that you trust me and like me and, and, and sort of you know identify with, with my general position. Okay. And so it's just like, just like, you know, you know, in your, in your comedy and, and speaking background, you got to connect with that audience, right? You've got to identify with that audience and, and you've got a pretty short amount of time in order to do that, right? That's what this is all about. It's about building that connection 
with your audience so that you have the credibility to move your argument forward. Yeah. So ethos, you're saying appeal to authority, but it doesn't necessarily mean like I'm a policeman or I'm the mayor. You got to listen to me. It's more being the credible or expert authority, meaning why would I listen to Damian Mason? You know, uh, he he wrote this book over here, do business better. Well, he has been in business for himself successfully for 26 years and started from nothing. Oh, so there's the ethos appeal. Why should you listen to me? Because I've done it. Uh, why should you listen to me? Because I'm well-credentialed. Why should you listen to me? Because I'm well-educated in this thing, or I have so much experience in this thing. So that's what most business people, if you think about it, um, Todd, that's what most of them do. Uh, why should you listen to Todd? Because he has been consulting with swine production uh, operations for two decades. Oh, am I right? Now, that has a lot to do with it. And I think, the, again, the thing that people miss is they, they see that, that credibility part, but they miss that trust part and that connection. So you got to find that connection. Um, and and it, it really, I think, it actually comes back to likability. Um, you know, you have to, people have to like you. And I think I see a lot of people giving out advice these days uh, that, that says, you know, you don't need to be liked. You just need to be respected or whatever. And I just think that's that's ridiculous. I think, you know, it's really important to be likable and for people to like you because people they do business with people that they like. They hire people they like. They buy things from people they like. They invest in people's businesses that they like. But it doesn't mean you can't, you know, that you need to be something that you're not. You need to be yourself. You need to be genuine and you need to be authentic, but you need to be likable. So you need to figure out how to be a likable version of yourself. And, and a lot of people like a lot of different types of people too. So that's, a, you know, it's what makes the world go around. Um, but I do think it's extremely important to be likable um, and so that you can establish that trust and credibility so that you can, again, move your, your argument forward and, and really to take just a short step back, what we're trying to do here when we're trying to persuade someone, we're trying to to open their mind, okay? So make them, you know, more malleable to change. And then the second step there is we're going to try to change their mind. And then the last step is we're going to try to get them to do something different, right? They're going to have to actually make the change, right? And so that, and that's a, that's a step that a lot of people forget. But you can't skip that first step, which is opening their mind. And that's really what what ethos is all about is about establishing that you know trust and relationship with those people so that you can soften them up and and give them and and create that environment where they're more likely to consider your your persuasive language or your persuasive writing or whatever it is um you, the, one thing i would like to add to there is that you you can borrow credibility you can't borrow authority but you need to be really careful about that okay so if i'm going into a new audience and i'm speaking to this audience and i happen to know that that audience are big fans of damian mason right i can sort of borrow a little bit of that credibility i can maybe i use a damian mason quote early in my discussion or maybe i say hey i'm friends with damian mason we were having this conversation and and so you can you can borrow some credibility there i think you need to be really careful with that and judicious in that um but you can certainly do that you see you see a lot of that and that that's certainly okay to do you just got to be a little bit careful because at the end of the day if you lean too much on that you could basically just be strengthening, you know, I could end up be strengthening your relationship with, with my audience and not really necessarily transferring that relationship uh, to me and my, and my connection with the audience. Yeah, right. And, and I'm thinking about the small business person that, you know, that listens to this podcast is probably saying, well, when would that matter to me? Well, you show up and they maybe question uh, your authority. You know, I, I know that I've done this and I don't do it in any, any abrasive way, but there's times when you, you 
you just want to know someone's credentials. So he said, uh, hey, just uh, sell seems fine, but just give me a little bit of background. And yeah, I, I think that then sometimes you'll hear him say, well, I worked with so-and-so. And that's that's where that, that uh, like he said, not only it gives you credibility to say, well, I, that's why a lot of times people use references. It's not necessarily references uh, for why people think. It's it, like you said, it maybe is, I work with so-and-so. Oh, now that I just got credibility and some authority. Emotion. Humans like... Uh, Humans like their emotions. It's all about the feels, not the reels. So uh, that's the pathos. Give it to me. Yep. Yep. So pathos is an appeal to emotion. And the goal there is to elicit an advantageous, advantageous emotional response from your audience. Okay. Now, that can be a lot of different things. Okay? There's a lot of different emotions that can be useful in persuading people. You know, uh, excitement is one that, that can be useful. Happiness, anger, pride, fear. You know, fear is a really strong one. Obviously, you, you wrote the the book Food Fear, um, and that, that's a perfect example. Um, and, and and that's a really common one uh, that politicians, yeah. in particular, like to appeal to. Um, but you know, let me give you an example of a positive emotion in a way that, that somebody used it on me. Right. Um, so many years ago, I was working for a big multinational company, and my supervisor, who was a really good leader. He came to me with an opportunity to, to move my family to Russia, you know, for two years. And, and, and so he sits down and it sort of caught me off guard a little bit because he was really emphasizing the, the money, you know, the money was good. Not only is the money good, but you can save some money because the company will pay for, you know, a lot of your expenses while you're living overseas. And, and then obviously that's a tough sell, you know, to, you know, move your family from uh, the U.S. To, to Russia for a couple of years. But he kept emphasizing that. And I realized, looking back on it later, I realized that he was really appealing to my desire to provide for my family. Right. He knew I was a young guy with a young family, I had a six year old daughter at the time. Yep. And that, you know, every young guy at, at that age, early in their career, wants to provide for their family. And, and so he was, you know, appealing to that. And we had a lot of discussions about a lot of different things. But that's an example of how he appealed to a positive emotion there that it, it wasn't so much about the money. It was really about, you know, what could you do with the money? You know, you could you could really set yourself up uh, to be able to, you know, do a really good job taking care of your family. So that's a that's a perfect example um, of of how you can utilize that to to you know sort of influence people. And and I obviously knew I was being influenced at the time, but I didn't really realize exactly how until I looked back on it later. Yeah, it's interesting. You, you know, you've been around the block a few times. You realize that people are trying to persuade you to do something, and then you're wondering now which thing are they working on. Uh, emotional appeal is, uh, it seems to me, the the most the most effective because humans are very emotional. But let's make sure we get through it. So we got the appeal to authority. We got the appeal to emotion, and now let's go with logos. Okay, uh, one more thing on on uh, pathos first. And you got to be a little bit careful here because people don't mind being persuaded, but they don't like being manipulated. Uh -huh. And your biggest risk, if you're employing pathos, if you're employing those emotions, that's the biggest risk of people feeling like they're being manipulated. Okay, And so you just got to be really careful and make sure you don't overdo it. Um, and you also probably want to tend towards appealing to positive emotions. There are times when appealing to negative emotions can be very, very effective, but you want to be careful about that. And I think you just want to have a just my advice is to have a general tendency, general preference towards appealing to more positive emotions. Um, and, and, and you can kind of get away from that manipulation. It's also a perfect 
opportunity to mention that that all these are related to one another, right? And if you've got really good ethos, if you've established a really good trustful relationship, you can afford to be more aggressive with your emotional appeals, right? Because you know your audience better. They trust you. They're, if you do overstep your bounds a little bit, they're going to forgive you a lot easier and quicker um, than they would if you didn't have that relationship. So, you know, it's, it's a good thing to keep in mind. So, Moving on to logos. Logos is the one that a lot of us feel the most comfortable with. This is what we prefer. This is our preferred method of communication. Um, it's, you know, a perfect example is it's the one that scientists and experts of all flavors prefer, and it's the way they communicate with each other, right? Okay, so this is how experts communicate amongst themselves. Um, and, and so the, the environment there is at least supposed to be emotion-free. Right. When two experts or two scientists, you know, they're supposed to be. It's all about the facts. All I care about is the evidence. That's not 100 percent true. But they certainly operate in this environment that at least makes them feel like that emotions are not an issue. And then uh, and then the, the authority issue is mostly your peers. Right. And so you sort of have established authority, have a, a established cre- a credibility in those types of groups. And so, you know, that's where you see that communication. So if you go to a scientific uh, uh, forum and you see, you know, scientists presenting their data, this is the kind of communication that's going to happen. Um, Aristotle argues that logos is the least effective of the three appeals, right? And I can imagine that that must have been an extremely hard admission for him to make. I mean, he's considered the father of logic, for crying out loud, right? He literally wrote the book on logic. And so, um, you know, this might, that must have been a tough uh, appeal to him. And because he's so associated with logic, when he says that, but I ought to raise your eyebrows. Well, that's interesting. Um, he actually thought that ethos was the most effective um, and that pathos was right behind it and that, that logos was the, was the least effective. Um, and, and, and so I think as we, we start looking at examples where it can be effective is maybe an easy way to explain it. I've already talked about one. Experts communicating with one another, logos can be very effective because we had this shared, you know, uh, uh, respect and authority because we're peers and we're trying to stay away from the emotions and everybody sort of agrees on that. Another one that it can be very effective in is with, uh, well, we call it in politics, pumping up your base. Right. It's right. people that already pretty much agree with you. Right. It can be really effective if you're trying to make an appeal to people that kind of generally agree with you. So if they agree with your general approach to life, if if, if you know you and I know each other and I, I think, you know, there's a lot of things about the way you think that I agree with. Maybe you're trying to make a new appeal and you're trying to convince me of something different. These are people that essentially want to be convinced. If you can provide them with some facts. Yeah. that help them rationalize their own tendencies towards wanting to agree with you anyway, it can be super effective. One area where it's not effective at all is when you have experts communicating to non-experts. And if you think about it, when we talk about sales and particularly marketing, that is really common. That's a common situation where you have people that really know their product and all the technical aspects of the product at a very deep level trying to sell it to somebody that that doesn't have that technical expertise. And so you need to be really careful. Those are the areas where you should lean heavily on one of the other two appeals and use the logical appeals to sort of bolster it. Okay. And so I think the mistake that we made, we make a lot of times is we lead with logos 
and we really should lead with with one or both of the others and then back that up with logos so those logical appeals can be very helpful to kind of be supporting evidence to our claim but not the main reason that we expect you to change your mind so if you want to convince people to change their minds emotion and appeals to authority are more effective. You you said that and we prepared our notes. And I'm thinking through, and I'm thinking, of course, the person that's listening to this, it's like, okay, I run a you know dry cleaner. I have fast food restaurants. I have a landscaping business, whatever it is. Um, they're saying, well, what am I doing with all this? Well, I think that what you're talking about is you have to meet with clients because none of us can work without having someone give us money, right? That's what our business is. You work for people's money. I work for people's money. We all work for other people's money. I remember distinctly with my beef business for 13 years, you know, I sold freezer beef to people. And I remember a woman that's not a farm person said, Hey, so-and-so told me I should buy beef off you. I've never done this. What's the deal. And I went right into the product and I talked about the pricing per pound, all that. That woman didn't give two hoots now about all that stuff. She'd already been told by a person she trusted. Again, there was that authority. I didn't need to bolster my authority to tell her I knew more about beef than her. She got told from one of her peers that she trusted that Damien Mason was the trusted place to get a quarter of beef from. And stupidly looking back, I'm like, Grant didn't change my life. It's a quarter of beef. But the reality is I should have simply said, yeah, I, you want some beef for your family? You want some good, some, some good quality beef for your family? There's the emotional part of it. Yeah, I've got what you need. <laughs> and, that's, and that's it. Instead, I went down the whole thing of making sure she knew that I was an authority and logically went through the whole thing about, you know, it depends on the frame size. You know, it could be $520 for this quarter. It could be $590 because it's going to be to frame your animal. She didn't know anybody of that. I said, you want some beef, you want some good quality beef for your family? Yeah, it'd be about 500 bucks. That's all I needed to do because, and I look back at that and granted they did become customers, but I, I remember thinking, you know, now I'm looking back like, yeah, we over, we overdo that, Todd. And that's what you were just saying. You know more about the pig industry than 99% of the population, 99.9% of the population. But sometimes people don't need to know that if they're just at the cocktail party and it's somebody that might want to do business with you they maybe don't need to know all that. So I, I'm just thinking through these real life situations that all of us are in as small biz people that we maybe over logic it or we over, we want to make sure they know our credentials. Yeah. Very, very few people care about the technical aspects of what they buy. Right. And, and, and some do, and, and, and you need to be cognizant of that. And when, when you, when people are expecting a logos argument, you need to be prepared with the locals argument, right? Because they're going to be very disappointed if you try to appeal to their emotions when they're expecting to be convinced based on data, right? So always have that, those logos arguments in your back pocket in case you get blindsided. But if you work under the assumption that a, that, that a, a ethos or a pathos approach is going to be more effective, you're going to be right majority of the time. My, my daughter has a little side business, a little side hustle where she does custom floral design for people, you know, and I'm constantly telling her, you're not selling floral designs. You're not selling bouquets. You're not selling arrangements. You're selling emotions, right? You're selling specifically the emotions that your customers are trying to elicit in other people, right? And so you need to be focused on, they don't care which flowers, you know, they would, the, Ask them what colors they like. Ask them what kind of mood you want to create. You know, is this a celebration? Is this a, you know, maybe somebody's, you know, lost their grandmother and, you know, and, and you can help them. You can do that. You know how that works. I don't know how that works. They don't know how that works, but you know how that works. And so you can help them get the emotional reaction that they're hoping to get from whoever they're buying these flowers 
for, uh, whether that's for somebody else or even for themselves. Um, and so I'm always constantly encouraging her to think about that. You care about the technical stuff. You should care about the technical yeah. stuff. Because you need to be able to create an arrangement that does what you said it's going to do, but they don't care. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. And uh, yeah, we see this all the time. Um, you know, I've been in sales and, and as a self-employed small business person, I, like you said, we all sell. And the better you get about understanding what matters to them, because as I always say, sales is very simply understanding a person's problem and positioning yourself as the solution. So do you do that by telling them the logical way that uh, the, you're going to repair their plumbing? You do that by saying, oh, I can see where you're upset. You haven't been able to take a shower for three days. I can repair your plumbing. More importantly, I can make it so you can have a shower. There's the emotional versus the, let me tell you why you got a problem, uh, you know, with your three quarter inch PVC pipe, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and I might see the, uh, the credibility. I, I think that sometimes you talked about if you were at a convention of scientists, they'd all be doing logical stuff. Don't kid yourself. They also, if they're up there to persuade one another, people that are well-educated can't stop talking about how well-educated they are oftentimes. So that's that whole thing of, I'm going to tell you about my credentials. You ever hear the introduction for a professor? I'm at this speaking engagement. My introduction is David Mason's a agricultural guy. Watch this. <laughs> and they are magna cum laude, um, professor emeritus, uh, graduate with distinction, taught such and such degrees in this. And I'm like, Get over yourself. All right. You got a PhD. Anyway, go ahead then. Um, what does the person listening to this need to know then? Understand, I get, first off, understand what your customer or prospect wants. Sometimes they want a logical uh, appeal. Sometimes they want a emotional. I, I would argue that they generally want some emotion in there or the authority. Understand that. What's the other takeaway? Yeah, so I think that that's that's the big one. I think you just want to lead. You want to kind of your default setting should be leading with with either the ethos or the pathos, and and kind of save the logos for for uh, a supporting evidence. Um, and I think the the other one is to understand those moments where logos is most appropriate, because that's a big opportunity that could be a missed opportunity if you go too far the other way. You know, so always be prepared to have that discussion and nobody expects you to you know if you're a salesperson a technical salesperson nobody expects you to have a be able to have a really really deep discussion about whatever the product is with a with an expert in the field but they do expect you to be able to have a competent conversation and a facts-based conversation um so be prepared for that when you're in one of those environments where, where that's appropriate then i think that the last thing is is there's some there's some very good superficial learnings to be had from just having this discussion and, and kind of understanding the real basics of these three uh, appeals. But there is a ton of meat on that bone. Digging a little bit deeper into that. Um, I've been studying that for close to two years now. Um, and I find it fascinating. It's almost like a layer of, of uh, you know, onions that you just keep peeling back another layer and you find another little nugget of insight. And so there's a lot of resources out there for you to uh, study uh, rhetorical uh, rhetoric and rhetorical appeals at a deeper level. And there's just a lot of different angles. And so I would encourage everybody, uh, you know, there's a lot of material online, free material online. There's a lot of good books out there. Uh, dig into it. I think it's be well worth your time and you'll just, and it's super practical. It's really applicable. It's things you can use tomorrow. Um, and so that's what I really like about it. I think it's, it's, it's really useful in a broad context and, and it's not something that you have to, you know, understand at a really deep level to be able to take advantage of. I, I like it. And I agree with you because what we're really talking about is obviously we're talking about, uh, uh, 
connecting with uh, the people. And there's folks that right now are listening saying, well, I got this business. I don't really care about, uh, I don't need to persuade anybody. No, that's not true at all. Take it from Todd, who's been running his own business for a long time. Or in China, he works in China, he works in Russia. He can't even speak their language very well, but he knows he has to make sure to persuade them to do what his business is in the business of doing, which is helping the other company's business. He needs to persuade people. We all persuade people to uh, ultimately uh, make a living and, and uh, become our customers. Todd Thurman said something interesting at the beginning and we never got to it. You said, you're an expert. I think you were talking about me and probably don't even realize you do this. So wait a minute. I want to, I want to be told how brilliant I am. What am I an expert at? Well, you're a speaker and connecting with your audience and understanding your audience is really what ethos is all about. It's about establishing that trust. It's about establishing that credibility. And so when you come out on the stage to do comedy, you have a pretty short period of time where people are going to make a judgment call whether they like you or not. And if they like you early on in that set, right, then then they're going to forgive your mistakes later or they're going to forgive your flubs or, you know, if you're not that funny. Uh, if they like you initially and if you establish that rapport really quickly, they're going to give you the benefit of the doubt. And, and if they don't, then and then they're going to be super hard on you. Same way, I'm sure when you're when you're speaking, you got to make that connection fairly early on with your audience. Um, and that's really what it's about. I think people get so caught up in this. You know, this is why you should believe me because I know all these things or I've done all these things. That's not what people really respond to. That can give you a a good start, right? Um, that big list of 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 educational degrees and everything you've got that people like to share when they're talking with other experts, nobody really cares about that stuff, right? What they really care about is, can I trust you? Do I like you and can I trust you? And that's really what, what you've got to establish. Todd, that's interesting because, and it's, again, everybody listening to this, they're not in the business of getting on stage or, or being a swine consultant, but it doesn't matter. This is really, it's the same stuff. I used to think, man, I'm at this conference and everybody here has an advanced degree, but, but me. And uh, then I used to wonder, is that going to be all right? Well, first off, um, the, the audience doesn't necessarily only uh, care about that. And as you said, I had a rule a long time ago, back when I was in political comedy, first be funny, meaning, you know, the old thing about uh, geometry, you do your proofs or you go through and you're very, and I always said, first be funny. Funny fixes a lot of stuff. Uh, first off, I was in the comedy business. So by God, if you're not funny, you got a problem. So I always said, first be funny. What about this? This is like, first be funny. And so um, there is something to that. And it does create uh, a bit of goodwill, as you said, and it creates a little bit of forgiveness. You know, at the 15 minute mark, then if you uh, use a cuss word, by then they either decide they liked you or they didn't like you. So first be funny. I agree with that. Ethos, pathos, logos. Appeal to authority, appeal to emotion, appeal to logic, how you can use it in your business. I think it's awesome. Todd Thurman, what's your last closing thought, closing note, something you can share with everybody that uh, they can apply to their business or life? I think as we start thinking about this, the more often you think about situations in which you were effectively persuaded, I think it gives you a really nice perspective. Okay, It can give you an idea, and then that could be positive or negative. I think the, the thing I'd like to kind of part with here is these tools can be equally applied for evil and for good. Right, uh, The art of rhetoric is only the success of your rhetoric is only determined by whether or not you succeed in persuading someone. Okay. So there are, are 
positive, good reasons why you can try to persuade someone and there are bad reasons why you can try to persuade someone. You can try to persuade someone to buy your product. It's a great product. You can also persuade someone to jump off a bridge or to try heroin, right? There's a, there's a lot of different things you can do there. And so, um, you know, I think if you think about it from the perspective of your audience and, you know, and draw on your experience as the person that's being persuaded, I think it can give you a really interesting uh, take on things. And so we, I, we tend to think of, you know, examples of when we persuaded other people successfully, right. and that's certainly fine. But I think there's a lot to be learned from times that you were persuaded successfully and really, you know, understanding like the example that I gave of my, my supervisor uh, appealing to uh, an emotion that was important to me, even though I didn't fully realize it at the time. Lots to be learned there. Yeah, yeah, that's a, a dead on is that it's real helpful to think back as you get older and, and better at what we do, thinking back about what has worked with us. And, you know, it doesn't take long for somebody to realize that one of the things I value greatly is my independence. Uh, you know, that's why I started my own business when I was 25, whatever. So a person that wanted to appeal to me or persuade me would, of course, say, hey, I'd like you to do this thing. But remember, it's on your terms. And I've had that before. I've got someone that wants to do business with me. They they make sure they push hard, hard, hard that this is it's on your terms. Uh, and, and as you said, I think the real important thing is you can make yourself a stronger business person. And also the, when you analyze these three rhetorical appeals, they can be good for good or evil. Jim Jones and Charles Manson were extremely persuasive individuals. And you say, oh, well, they just grabbed a bunch of crazy people to follow them. Well, they got people to follow them uh, right or wrong. So they're, they were persuasive. And then also some great uh, successful people. Elon Musk is very persuasive. He just, this, this headline today, he's now become the world's richest man, richest person. So, uh, all right. His name is Todd Thurman, friend of show. Glad he came by. Uh, it's happy hour where he is. So we're going to let him sh shove off. Now, if they want to find you to, uh, to, to, to look you up for any reason, where do they find Todd Thurman? Uh, probably the easiest way is to go to the website. That's swinetex.com, S-W-I-N-E-T-E-X.com. And from there, you can find uh, contact information, links to all the socials and all that stuff. That's probably the easiest way to And I do encourage you to keep up with Todd on LinkedIn. He has some really good stuff. It's usually from a food and agricultural perspective, but also from a business perspective, because he's a small biz guy just like you and just like me. So check out his LinkedIn profile. It's the best stuff. That he, uh, he puts really good stuff out there. All right. Thanks a lot for being here. Thanks a lot for having me. All right. Till next time, it's the Do Business Better podcast. If you enjoyed this episode of Do Business Better, please share it. And be sure to connect with Damien on LinkedIn, like his Facebook fan page, and follow him on Instagram and Twitter. For speaking inquiries or to purchase Damien's books, Food Fear and Do Business Better, go to DamienMason.com. Know someone who'd make a great guest? Send us a message. We're always looking for compelling stories and business lessons our listeners can benefit from. Thank you.